0: Bullets that changed America 13 historic assassinations, duels, misfires, and murders. Available from McFarland Publishing, wherever books are sold. Now, back to our show. This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking (laughs) Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. Tommy, what do we got?
1: Well, today we're going to look at our part two, uh, discussing a little bit of history of baseball. Again, we're breezing through this pretty fast. So, obviously, I don't want people to be like, oh, you forgot about this, you forgot about that. We're not going over like every team that won the World Series. But um, really, we're just kind of talking about these eras and going how the game evolved and becomes America's pastime or this major part of the Americana that it is today.
0: Generally speaking, 1930s, uh, you have a lot of hitters. That's the game changes. Uh, they move the stands closer. The crowds love seeing home runs. Uh, Great Depression actually puts a little damper in all this. Um, They said that the peak average of attendance pre-Great Depression, like late 20s, was 8,000, a little over 8,000. Great Depression kind of really minimizes that, and it falls below 5,000, which actually is the reason we have the All-Star Game. So in 1933, the numbers were so low for people going to see baseball games that they they created the All-Star Game. It was like a mid-season break um in which they basically you know it's in the name right they put the greatest players together from each league and then they play against each other and it was a meaningless demonstration game but it was there was the idea of kind of trying to bring more people into the stands right i um, mean also in 1936 that is when you have the creation of the baseball hall of fame in cooperstown new york and you have the first five players do you know what the first five players are i know it's babe ruth ty cobb who else you got there uh walter johnson honus wagner
1: Honus Wagner yeah, uh, that's the name people are going to realize um the most valuable baseball card his Really? he was against tobacco well he was a, he was against tobacco smoking and chewing tobacco so he had all used to get baseball cards at that time before the era when it was in like bubble gum and stuff like that you'd get them in these tobacco cards and in tobacco packs and he was like I don't want kids buying tobacco packs to get my cards so he had his cards destroyed or refused oh. to let them sell it not sure. There's only very few Horns Wagner cards in existence. They're the most expensive baseball cool. cards because of that. That's <laughs> kind of cool.
0: Yeah, and the other one was Christopher uh, Matthewson, right? Big Six, yes. the Christian gentleman, or the Maddie, the gentleman's <laughs> harler, they was known as, um, who played 17 seasons with the New York Giants. But yeah, those are the first ones. Um, so the whole formally opened in 1939, and it remains open to this day. So World War Two. This is interesting. That's a cool story. I think World War Two, right? Well,
1: again, this could be a podcast in itself, but um, you have more than 500 major leaguers and 37 future Hall of Famers actually serve in military during this time. And the big thing is Roosevelt um, wants them to do that. He's not saying Yeah, this is cool. He, this
0: is a cool story. A lot of them
1: are sacrificing their prime years of their careers. But he's also saying, listen, it's he writes something known as the Green um, Light Letter, he encourages play to continue. Because he says yeah. baseball is a necessary moral booster during difficult times. So it's basically, it's part of Americana. It is America's pastime by this point. We need people We need people to yep. still watch and play baseball because it's going to keep morale up. It gives people yeah, an escape for a couple hours.
0: Yep. And it was interesting because initially, like, you know, the baseball commissioner asked him, like, what, what do you want to do? Should we stop playing yeah. baseball? And it's a trying time. It's World War II. Players gone. And as you said, he's like, no, no, you got to keep them playing. He did have one request, though, and he asked that games should be played at night so that all the workers – that are working in the factories right in world war ii could attend these games which i thought was kind of cool also this is the time where 1941 you have the premature death of luke um, Luger, yeah. um also during future. the same season in 41 pearl harbor is about to happen in december world war ii is around the corner joe dimaggio hits successfully in 56 consecutive games okay uh, which was a busting out the facts which is yeah. Well, apparently this is an accomplishment that was <laughs> well, unprecedented. It was a com- it's a record.
1: That, it's a re- it's a record that still stands today. Yeah.
0: Really, that I did not know. But yes. I did when I was looking it up. And they're like, you know, Joe DiMaggio starts like when World War One starts. I was like, all right, well, it seems like a big deal.
1: Jumping um, Joe DiMaggio, and he's and he's part of songs too. That I guess we can talk about Joe DiMaggio a little bit, right? He's, I'm sure you heard the uh, Mrs. Roberts in that song, right? He's part of Americana. Yep. Um, and that yep. uh, Simon Garfunkel, did anyone that see that song? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. So the, I remember they mentioned and um, at first um Jordan Masha, who is not he was like this he's not the nicest guy in the world. But um we'll get to him, I guess, more when we talk to the fifties because he was married to Marilyn Monroe. He had like the athlete with the movie star, right? Mm-hmm. First like it couple, right? Before uh J Lo and A-Rod, but they're not together anymore, but you know what I mean. Nope. That sort of <laughs> stuff. But um he actually does he was actually contemplating suing them. So suing he thought he suing Simon Garfunkel. He thought they were making fun really? of him. In that song, until they had to explain to him, no, they're saying, like, you know, where are you, Joe DiMaggio? A nation turns its lonely eye to you. That's like, they're saying, no, uh, where are our morals? Where are our heroes of our youth? He thought they were like yeah. mocking him. So he was like a very on his image and stuff like that.
0: You know, it's interesting too that with regards to that, because where are you, Joe DiMaggio? I mean, he wound up missing playing time. So 41, lead up to. Well, him, US Ted Williams. World yeah, they were,
1: they were yeah. in the war. They're, they had <laughs> they, to they go. In the war. Um, like, these are did the prime years of their career. They, exactly.
0: Like in 41, everyone's like, oh my gosh, like Joe DiMaggio is going to be the next big thing. And then boom, he gets drafted. And that's pretty much the end of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, so he still, also becomes
1: have, a, he still becomes a big thing. It just takes over. He's doing another
0: Indeed, right? Uh, baseball really takes off after World War II. In 1945, they said a new attendance record um, is established. And basically average crowds went up like 70% from pre-World War II times. So it really kind of starts in – Then you have new records for crowds in 48 and 49, and the average um, size of the audience reaches about 16,900. So by today's standards, you're like, all right. But back then, you know, stemming from 1939 when it was like 4,000, and all of a sudden, World War II ends in 45, by 48, 49, it's 16,000. That's kind of a big deal. And then it kind of starts to dip a little bit, I feel like, afterwards. You know, in the 50s and 60s, based on these numbers, it dips. and then. Them, well, so baseball is so people,
1: widely popular, but what you're doing is that it's going out west. There's, a lot, there's going to be a lot of changes in we'll so the, post, yeah. the post-war years in baseball. But I guess before we skip that, we have to also mention that in the war years, you also had the female baseball league, the all-women's yes. baseball league, that comes around um, during that time. And um, it was it, – really put in place to compensate for the loss of many of the best major league players in the war I've heard obviously is that um, movie Tom Hanks movie, Tom Hanks, right? movie. Tom Hanks was down a league of their own yeah. Yeah. Um, it lasts for a number of years obviously when the war is over
0: 50, 54 54 yeah. it ended it was 43 to 54 it's not a good run and they are
1: recognized at the baseball hall of fame I believe too the um, those individuals so it's always an interesting
0: story uh,
1: out there it is I mean like 600 future, women
0: just, like 600 women played yeah. in the league right? It was popular. Um, no, it
1: was popular people enjoyed it it was baseball
0: it was baseball. It was mostly Midwest, though. It was like it was ten teams, and they were mostly in American Midwest. Um, but yeah, they said that the forty-eight league attendance peaked at nine hundred thousand in the calendar year forty-eight. Yeah, so there, it
1: was it was popular, without doubt.
0: Yeah, but good point. You know, trying to like almost make up for the fact, just like women went, you know, went into becoming plumbers and electricians and working in factories yeah, and yeah. building yeah. warships, they, they also went to play baseball. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Why um, not? So a great story. And I think, you know, like it's also stemming, you know, kind of going from this whole like women's rights stuff. Let's get into racial integration of baseball because that becomes a thing. Oh, that's a World, World War, II.
1: War II. Well, yeah, that's we've seen again World War Two, And, you know, they were basically – We briefly mentioned it fighting. in last
0: podcast, but let's, let's yeah, talk about know, it. Yeah.
1: They're fighting for freedom. African-Americans are fighting for freedom against the Nazis, right? They're fighting for the country. Now they're coming back and they're like, this doesn't make much sense. Now I don't have, you know. Yep. the same freedoms or that I was fighting for saying I was going to have. So you start seeing this integration um, partly during this time. And during the baseball winter meetings, I think in 1943, there was a lot of uh, push for integration of the sport, but it didn't happen again until after World War II. Everyone's kind of saying, we'll do it, but not until after World War II. Now, there were the Negro Leagues. Right? Everyone knows the Negro League, um, uh, hearing about, and they had those World Series, stuff like that. But they said, no, we want players in baseball. No more segregation, right? It's getting yep. rid of the segregation, basically, in baseball.
0: Do you notice that at first they try to actually try to pass some African-American players as Native Americans to try to yeah, get them in? Not yet. Um, before officially they were like, all right, now we're going to make this work. So you have uh, Pittsburgh Pirates owner, right, uh, signs Josh Gibson to a contract in 43. Yeah, the general manager who basically became the most successful in breaking the color barrier, right, was Branch Rickey of the Brooklyn Dodgers. And what he did is in mid-40s, he starts going and watching different games in a Negro League and he compiles a whole list of possible players that he could bring over, or that could be brought over to major league contracts. You know, I kind of mentioned this a little bit in the last podcast um, last week. But the idea here was that whoever they did sign um, was going to basically be a you know a magnet for prejudice, right, and, and racism. So the idea was, right, um, Ricky kind of went out there and says, we need to find a player that is distinguished, you know, has a distinguished personality. Um, and character as much as the ability to play baseball player had to be able to tolerate this inevitable abuse so that's how they settled on jackie robinson right who was um a shortstop for the kansas city monarchs again not the best player in the negro league by any means but the right character and the right well, person yeah well they
1: also told him. yeah so like if you ever watched a movie um uh, 42 which uh, deals with that um yeah he's basically told for the first couple of years you have to like just turn the other cheek but Later on, he starts to trip back, which is good. You should be able to set up for yourself. Yeah. So he, he actually starts April fifteenth, nineteen forty seven, and then minor eleven leagues, weeks right. later.
0: Doesn't he start minor um, leagues first?
1: Technically, yes, but he does, but he does make his debut for the Dodgers uh, in
0: forty seven. Yeah, in forty six, yeah. they get him playing some minor leagues. The Montreal yeah. Royals. They're like, all right, this yeah. is just kind of dip your toes. Right. And then just 11
1: weeks later, in July 5th, 1947, is when the American League integrates with Larry Doby of the Cleveland Indians. So you yep. start getting, you start to get, again, it's only a few players per team. Sasha Page eventually goes also to the Indians. He's probably a famous Negro uh, League player that people have heard of before. Um, he was old at that time, too, um, nice. still effective. And you start to get uh, integration, but it's very slow. By 1953, you only had six of the 16 teams had African American players in the roster.
0: Yep. I saw that. So. Right. Um,
1: yeah, And the Red Sox are actually the last major league team to integrate its roster in uh, 1959.
0: Yep. They said, though, that even though there were limited in numbers, African-Americans' like on-field performance uh, was just outstanding. In the 14 well, years- they from a bit, yeah. Yeah, from 1947 until 1960, so from the first integration until 1960, black players won one or more of uh, the Rookie of the Year awards nine times, which is- like unprecedented. Also, as I remember, a lot
1: of these players—they've played in other leagues. They had experience. They were rookies in the major league, right? But they weren't yep. necessarily rookies to—well, no one's a rookie to the game of baseball. But they were—they weren't rookies to like that, that, you know, that type of competition. You know. Yep. So coming in, I'm not not downplaying it, but I'm saying that they, they had some experience. So obviously, coming in, they're going to be going to—they were great players.
0: So yep. And also, apparently, awards. a lot of credit is given uh, to African American players of kind of changing and de-emphasizing the predominance of power hitting um and speed, more towards yeah. base, base running, running and speed yep so but yeah no african-american participation in baseball um rose a lot obviously right uh by 74 27 of baseball players were african-american um also you, this also opens up a lot of doors for latin american players that wound yes. up getting in as well because of this integration um but yeah uh, buh, 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 buh. All right, so yeah, so it let's, does
1: go up, but um, nowadays, if you want to get to nowadays a little bit just to talk oh, about yeah. it. Like African Americans are actually make up only about nine percent of the major league players. Um, there's a lot of factors that, I guess we'll talk about later, or we can talk about.
0: Um, you could do you want, you want
1: to do it now? Go. Well, it's basically a, one, there is a lot more, um, like you said, Latin American players that were touched over about 30 percent, right? By yeah. 2007, 2017. Um, but a lot of other factors, the instance says that, like Dave Winfield, he's a um, Hall of Fame player. He said that. Listen, in urban America, where a lot of African Americans grow up, like they are, there's this fewer resources for youth baseball. So this, yep. so that's one reason why you're not seeing as high. It is up, I think, around around ten percent and stuff like that. So it's, but it's not what it was obviously uh, many years ago. There, there's a lot of programs now trying to get it back, trying to get these like areas that may not have as much um, money and stuff, the funding so they can play baseball. But it's also there's more sports for people to play too. It used to be you You were baseball. It was, it was a league or nothing. But if you look, you know, you have kids now. Just look at all the different, you know, youth programs out there. Soccer, lacrosse, football, basketball. So but the cost sports. of these
0: things is is, is ridiculous. I mean, oh, ESPN yeah. did a whole piece on this. Uh, kids aren't it's playing really enough cost, sports. Like yeah. yeah, like corporate cost. It just costs way too much money. And I mean, in 2018, only 30% of kids age 6 to 12 played sports on a regular basis, right? Uh, so 38% of 6 to 12 yards, what oh, you would yeah. think would play a lot of sports. That was down 45% from 2008. Like just kids are not playing. And the reason for it is because everything is so, so expensive. So the ESPN compiled this. Esports, Pete. They're all going to esports. They want
1: esports scholarships.
0: That's what it is. They want to play video games. But <laughs> average <laughs> annual spending, right, per sport per child, average it, right? Baseball, average annual spending for baseball from a kid that's six to 12 years old. So we're not talking high school, you know, I'm going to get a scholarship. I'm talking a seven year old, let's say, right? Is $659 to play baseball, average cost. Field hockey, $2,124. And then, you know, you said ice hockey, right? Ice hockey is $2,582 average for a child between six and 12. Per year in America to play that sport like that is crazy you know African-Americans are it's it's not like they're not playing baseball it's just because of the fact that the costs are so high and the statistics prove that a lot of African-American children don't have the money or the right means to really partake in these organized sports I think it's hello this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French history podcast and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. It's a detriment, you know, to not just the kids, but also to the sport itself. But let's kind of come back real quick. So what we have here, let's kind of get into Major League Baseball relocates, really, in the 50s and 60s, right? So they start moving Mm -hmm. west. They start moving west,
1: West, 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 right? So so you already have something called the Pacific Coast League. Right, it was already there. You had a bunch of uh, players there. It's actually where a lot of um, Jordan Imagio started there. So a lot of players would start there. You know, and they would move their way and stuff like that to other places. And, uh, but we're seeing is like an actual league. So you start seeing some teams start to relocate. The Boston Braves move to Milwaukee, right? The um, yeah, some other teams there named, yep. um, that go. The Philadelphia Athletics move to Kansas City. Right, and they become you know, the Royals and stuff like that. But the biggest one, one of the bigger ones, is probably when um, in 1958,
0: yep. where New York.
1: the Dodgers and the Giants both leave.
0: And the thing and is, because the fear was that the PCL, right, um, that the Pacific, Pacific League was yeah. going to start its own league. And it's like, wait, it's wait, we league. can't do that. We need to, <laughs> like, we, we can't allow them to do that. So that was the whole idea of, all right, how can we place some teams? Yeah. And they were offered a lot on the of the money. East, Walter West. O'Malley, yep. one of
1: the Dodgers, was offered a lot of money to go over.
0: To move to LA, and it basically apparently Los Angeles basically gave Walter O'Malley, right, the owner of the Dodgers, they gave him a helicopter oh, yeah. tour Remember? in the city, and they're like, they pick your spot. spot,
1: where do you want to go, where do you want to be? <laughs> it's not crazy? And this it's creates like- a lot of rivalry. The Dodgers and Giants, they have. So basically, they both left because the Yankees were drawing, was outdrawing all of them. Yeah, that's and what they, I. And yeah, they obviously they were yeah. becoming dominant of the in the in the town in the 50s, and um, he said. Winning the World Series virtually every year, so everyone was going to be a Yankee fan. You know, all the immigrants coming in, what are they doing to be a Yankee fan? So they were, you know, they needed these, these new markets. They had, a, you know, baseball people. A lot of people, you know, that lived even in the East Coast moved to the West Coast at this point, right? So they were starving for baseball. Let's bring baseball to the West Coast.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is also the first Major League Baseball expansion in seventy years. So the first um, expansion team, the only California expansion team really at that time, was the Los Angeles Angels. Right. Later the California angels. Um, and eventually I think 2005, there were the LA angels of. Anhe- right? Now Anhe- that, uh, no. that the LA angels again, yeah, they
1: changed yep. it back.
0: But yeah, that was like the first major league baseball expansion after the Dodgers and giants were brought over to California. So what else we have? We have the expansion of American league and Kansas city Royals. Right. I mean, it's just basically, I would say the 19th. A lot more teams. Was, com- yeah. More teams are coming.
1: We have, because they have to keep up. So yep. like, um, they, like the, um, to key pace, right, the American League, which now had 10 teams and nationally needed to expand also to 10 teams. So they add two new teams, the, the Houston Colt 45s, which become the Houston Astros. And the New York Mets, they come and the Mets have the colors of the two previous teams, right? The blue from the Dodgers, the orange from the Giants. That's how you get the Mets colors. So they come into place. And then they, um, in 1969, you have the Royals, the Seattle Pilots. They later become the um, Mariners. So you have all these teams that are slowly popping up, the Expos, the Padres. In, I mean, they settled uh, settle on the
0: 15th uh, – they settled on 15 teams on each side 1998, right? The American League and National League, um, they each added the 15th team. So there was a total of 30 teams in Major League Baseball, right? And I think – I'm pretty sure that's where we're at today, isn't it?
1: Well, yeah. The last teams I believe are added in 98 um, when you have the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, now it's just a raise. You have the Diamondbacks um, in Arizona, a couple other teams that do get uh, put in there. You have all these expansion teams, and the expansions happen when they're trying to grow the game. I don't think yeah. they're, they're not planning any future expansion teams anytime soon. You don't want to oversaturate it, but it's as the teams, as the sport gets more popular, you want to continue the expand. That's what they even do now. when they play games in Japan. They plan on playing games in Mexico. They want to play games in Europe. That was a big thing a couple of years ago. Obviously COVID put a stop to some of that, but it's playing these yeah. games overseas. to try to like spread the game and get other people interested Like world baseball classics. another another example of that. It's kind of like the world cup for baseball. Not yeah. as popular. I'm not saying yeah, that, yeah. but it's, they're trying to get the game more international.
0: And also, you know, 1980s, really, this is the marketing and hype era and science of sports kind of changing the game, right? You know, free agency, players are moving. You start having f- uh, star players, basically. Uh, sports science conditioning, so players are getting better, ultimately, at the game. And But marketing and television broadcasts, sporting events, uh, primetime on TV. Uh, you have brand name products and greater visibility, like Yankees. You know, like just New Jersey alone, right? You are Northern middle northern jersey you're going to see yankee and Mets gear. you get further south jersey you're going to see phillies you know it's, it's just, we'll you know, hear the whole regional baseball teams the regional baseball networks yeah, that you're seeing,
1: stuff like that it's branding they they learned pretty early on i guess during the time of roof but definitely during the time with like DiMaggio, mantle um some of those other players uh, that come later on like carlos Srimsky, like, i think people like that that that's um we can market the players we can also market just the teams like right? merch like the merchandise
0: and T V has you know. so much to do with this. The arrival of TV, right, in nineteen fifties basically increases attention for revenue uh from older major league clubs. Very regional television programming. But the only baseball game I could watch is a New York Yankee game. Like I'm gonna be more inclined to become a New York Yankees fan. Like that's you know, there was national networks that started showing televised national games, like a national game of the week uh, in the sixties yeah. and seventies, but you Know it was still kind of remained and was primarily TV geared towards a given, um, what do you call it? Re- you know, region, right? Region, cable yeah, we well, ha-
1: having northeast in the 50s, yeah. Cable kind of
0: changes that in the 70s, I guess you would say, but you know, that's also like in the 70s, you have obviously just all sports because of television, right? Cable makes television a, a, a you know national, um, in a sense that you start you could follow teams that are not in your market, you know, eventually on demand and all that other stuff, but. So TV, huge in marketing and hyping up baseball. Actually, the average attendance first broke 20,000 in 1979 and then 30,000 in 1993. So baseball becomes very popular in the 80s. I would say the 80s and 90s.
1: Well, right? and what they're doing is at times they're also trying to get um, more runs per game. We talked before, like in, 16, in the 60s, 69, they actually um, reduced the pitcher amount. They lowered it. Yep. And they um, reduced the strike zone. In 73, the American League put in the designated hitter. The Nationally finally just did that now, putting the, the designated hitter, which means the pitcher wouldn't hit. Yep. Yeah, the designated hitter just hit. They're trying to increase offense and stuff like that. But really, what you're seeing the explosion with all that um, revenue is that the players are saying, you know, we want more money too. And the first legal challenge of that comes when uh, Kurt Floyd, right, took the leagues yep. to court and negotiated
0: a player trade. Um, flood versus Coon, you know. 1972. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, well, flooding. Yeah, they, they, Floyd tries to flood, I'm sorry, tries that. Um, he lost, right? Yeah. he tried arguing the 13th Amendment. Then you have other ones later on, and they eventually win. And it basically allows um, free well, let's agency, talk about, which skyratches yeah, the prices. Of course.
0: And and that's that also leads to players also signing different deals with, you know, trading cards and companies and, you know. Endorsements. You well, they've had that. Like Babe Ruth
1: had endorsements for like, Different things and you know, cigarettes even a lot of them do cigarettes. It's crazy. Uh, beer I know there used to be this show called Home Run Derby. Um that I would watch like reruns on, like classic sports, and they would literally have like like these, you know, Mickey Mantle, these guys hit trying to hit I mean who get the most home runs and stuff like that, and then they'd be like doing advertisements for like beer and cigarettes and stuff like that in between. And they were like, Listen, you they're paying me five thousand dollars to say I smoke Marlboro lights. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. That wouldn't slide today. But back no, in 1956, 1960s, yeah, go for it.
0: But and I, you know, I think that also brings up players having a lot more say, have a lot more power within their team. So I think we should, this is a good time to talk about strikes. I mean, there was a strike in 72, 73, 80, yeah. uh, but those are all held in preseason. There was a stop. There was some stoppage, I think, in 72 that disrupted the season, and then in 76, the uh, owners locked out players out of the spring training in a dispute over free agency. But I think that the, the one of the biggest ones was ninety four, ninety five, right? Well, that's the
1: biggest one. Because even the other ones, they had a reduced seasons. So the one that happened in eighty one had like a reduced season and stuff like that. But they still had a World Series winner. Yeah. Um, in ninety four, you didn't, and you did not have one. And
0: yeah. eighty five, wasn't there a two day strike in eighty five over a division of television revenue money because yeah. the mm-hmm. TV was making so much money? But yeah, so this the thirty two day spring training lockout in nineteen ninety that was a thing. But so what happened in ninety four? Do you it that? was
1: basically, there was, there was a strike while well, I was 12, but it was basically, um, it was a, they it, it was the end of the, um, it was over salary and structure and everything like that. Yep. And the worst, it was by far the worst ones. Um, they tried to renegotiate salary for free agency in 92. They didn't really do much. And the standoff continued until 1994 when it would um, actually end in the middle of the season when no agreement would take place. So out of the conflict was that these small market teams, I'd say like the Mariners, they couldn't compete with like the New York, Teams or the LA teams, yeah. so their plan was to institute these, the, the revenue sharing, right, to increase yeah. equality among all of them. And impose a salary cap. The, no players want a salary cap because that's going to limit how much money they can make, right? They don't want a salary cap, so it could reduce their potential earnings. So it wasn't until 2003, actually, when Major League Baseball put in a luxury tax, which is what they still have now. But it was the first time since 1904 the World Series was actually canceled. I remember it was like mid-season. They were playing and all of a sudden, all right, the season's over. New, they're still always talk about the season's going to come back on. The season's going to come back on, but it just never did. And it was a real embarrassment for baseball and fans were out. We're, were mad. Um, again, I was young, but I do remember it. A lot of people were really like angry about this. And they said, listen, we're not going back. And attendance actually suffered a lot um, during this time. And, um, you know, when baseball came back in 95, it would take more than a decade for it to fully recover. Um, you had a couple of things that changed it. You had the um, – Kovacik Jr. Right, he breaks through Garrick's consecutive game streak, so that starts. You have the home run race. Really, even though we'd find out later on that in the 1998 home run race was fueled by uh, steroids,
0: basically. And I think that's but important because know, you know that kind of the steroid. Uh, it's the steroid. Uh, and they,
1: in baseball knew that they looked away from it. Yep. Because they're like, well, fans are coming back to it. You know what
0: I mean? Yep. So. But I think the steroid I really tainted baseball in the early 2000s, like the 90s, you know, from the 95 on strike, it seemed like baseball couldn't really catch a break. You know, the steroid, I feel like tarnished a lot of it. And that became, you know, the talk of the town was it wasn't like direct steroids. Wasn't it like
1: it was if well, they had the steroids in the early 90s. You had uh, call it designer had them steroids. You had them with like Jose Canseco and stuff like that. Um, he was basically doing steroids. So you had the steroids in that time. But yeah, the Andrew was like andro and stuff like that. That's yeah, it was so designer steroids, record. so they
0: were clear and they were not necessarily detected through drug tests at a time. So, yeah. you know, these people were taking these players were taking these steroids, but also that like the obsession with home runs because there were so many powerful players in the early 2000s. Well, I, it was
1: a big thing. You would watch it all the time, and you would be like, "Oh, who's gonna win? The, who's gonna win this race? Mark McGuire or Sammy Sosa." A home run race between these two players, right? And Sosa ends up with sixty six home runs, and McGuire ends up with seventy, which is like unheard of. Remember, the record was sixty one. Right. (laughs) And they're more of them
0: like routinely players today, even right. Uh, The two thousands reach 40 to 50 home runs in a season. And that was basically rare in 1980s. So look how much has changed in the past just 20 years. So, I mean, I guess the, uh, the two thousands kind of brings us to today and, and, Pretty much, I guess, brings us to the end of this podcast because I I feel like between the two parts, I think we did a a pretty good uh, overview of of the history of baseball. Obviously, we missed a lot of things, but,
1: you know, this this is just like a brief overview, give you a little bit of uh, baseball IQ, I guess, right?
0: And I think, uh, you know, we'll pick another sport one of these days. Maybe, maybe. Until then, right, Tom? We'll we'll do fencing. (laughs) We should do fencing. Anyway. If anyone needs to contact us, guys, please feel free to do so. We do appreciate you tuning in every single week. It's awesome. Thank you. You can find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. If you have any questions, comments, reactions, anything, just, you know, find us there. Uh, And I guess till next week, guys, thank you so much for tuning in once more. Take care.
1: Stay safe, everybody.
0: hope everyone enjoyed our podcast. And if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts.